actually, you guys, later on, I want you to go back and watch this uh, worship set again in light of the message this morning. It is profound. It is profound how the songs are describing exactly what are in my notes today. So I feel like my heart is super full already because I just see the Lord moving. Um, it was a couple months ago that Pastor Ryan showed me a calendar and he was like, hey, these two dates here, these two consecutive dates in the summer, those ones are yours. And I said, what do you want me to speak on? And he said, I want you to speak on whatever's pa whatever you're passionate about. And I was like, drawing a blank. I don't think I'm passionate about a thing. I, I, can't, I can't think of anything. And to be fair, that day, I was a little distracted. I had just lost my keys here at Arbor Church for the umpteenth time. And raise your hand if you've been part of this drama with me. Yes, there's several of you who have journeyed with me on this. And that day in particular, I, I had turned over every wood round here in the church. Could not find it anywhere. On a given day, I am in every corner of this church could not retrace my steps, could not find it at all. My husband was out of town that day, so because I didn't have a spare key set, I had to Uber home, and then Amanda, who you saw up here earlier, she was kind enough to drive me back with my, my car key, so it was like a group effort. The very last straw was me climbing through my office ceiling tiles in, an, in order, you can see it there. Uh, this is not the first time I've needed to climb in through my, my office. We're egalitarian here if you didn't know. And so that means that Ryan and Brian were down the hall just having their meeting while I'm up on the ladder with goggles and you know the whole thing and they're just like dude you're 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 capable do it. So anyhow all that to say all that to say the day that Ryan asked me what I was passionate about the answer was I'm I'm passionate about nothing except finding something that's lost. Every, everything in my body was attuned to where are those keys. And so I, I thought to myself, well, maybe I'll talk about lost things. And as it turns out, the more I studied about lost things, the more that I found God's heart is also shaped and bent and fixed on things that are lost. And so that is where we're going to start today. And to set the context, if you want to whip out your Bibles, you're in Luke 15 this morning. And to set the context, Jesus at this point of Luke 15, he had been uh, in the region long enough. He had been teaching, he had called his disciples, he had done some healing. And so he was building his brand, so to speak. And his brand was that he was a teacher, a religious teacher who didn't seem to hang out with the other religious teachers. Um, he was more on lake shores and rocky mountains rather than in fancy temples or in arenas. And he preferred hanging out with people who were on the margins, on the margins. They weren't just unpopular people he was with. He was with the unclean, the suspect, the scandalous, and the non-religious. This made the other religious teachers in the area concerned. They were like, why is he hanging out with them and not me? Why does he keep turning down my invitation for a podcast? What's wrong with me? And Jesus knows that they are very upset about this. This is what it says in, in Luke 15, verse 1. 
Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain he was associating with such people, such sinful people. He was even eating with them. So what's the big deal about eating with sinners? Well, back in that day, the law said that if these sinners were sinners because they were morally unreliable to either be witnesses in a court case or to be a judge in a court case, morally unreliable. And the issue with eating with sinners back then was it was seen as you were, you were condoning their behavior if you were to eat with them. And so Jesus is going to respond by, to their concerns by telling the people three stories. So I want you to keep in mind, you have your religious teachers listening to the stories, but also the people he was just eating with are there as well. So all, I, all ears are tuned to these stories. They're regarding lost things. The first story is about a lost sheep. There was one lost. 99 safe ones were left in order for the shepherd to go find that little lost one. When he brought it back, there was like a party. Everybody was stoked. The second story is about a lost coin. There was a woman who had lost her coin in her house. It represented a day's wage. She only had 10 of them. One of them was gone. So she turned the whole place upside down. She climbed through her ceiling tiles. <laughs> she looked under the couch cushion. She used her flashlight on her phone. When she found it, much celebrating. And also, everybody who teased her about getting old and scatterbrained, they all apologized. So that was a high point. <laughs> that was a high point. Yes. The third story, the third story is, is, is the crown jewel of parables. Jesus loved teaching with stories because people, we're a storytelling people, right? We love when somebody tells a story. We kind of can imagine things differently. And, and he knows this. So he starts with sheep, then he goes to coins, but then he goes to children. If you're gonna teach somebody about the heart of a father, you're gonna wanna talk about their children. And though you've heard this parable, many times before, I am sure. This is the first time you're hearing it today, I will wager a guess. So with those ears that you have today and your heart in a position the way that it is today, let's, let's read the parable of the lost son. This is verse 11. Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son said, I want my share of your estate now. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between the sons. Okay, Jesus is going to be painting the most offensive picture possible of this young man. Already, just by asking for somebody's inheritance before they die is like scandalous, right? I, I was a child of adult older adults for a while, and if I had asked for their inheritance early, my inheritance early, it would have set my parents up to be in a really um, risky, risky place, not knowing if they would have enough resources for their own later years. But this son, he's got a plan for his life that can't happen under the same roof as his father, and he can't even stay in the same community with this plan. So his plan is to leave everything behind, his father, his family, 
except he wants to take the cash. The story continues. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. A few days later, (laughs) a few days later, imagine how it is for the father. He just got this Venmo request of this inordinate amount of money from the son, and he's thinking, whoa, that's a lot. (laughs) And then, a few days later, he hears suitcases coming down from the attic. Right? Did his heart break when the door slammed? Did he rub away tears so that he could still kind of see his son's back as he was walking out down the road, getting smaller and smaller on the horizon? Did he finally let himself weep when he passed by his son's room and he saw what was left behind? Was a teddy bear left behind? In the coming days, did his heart jump when he thought he heard the garage door open? When his phone pinged, did he hope that it was his son? But as so often is the case for us and those in this story, the door is not opening. The phone is quiet. Our child is in a distant land. Jesus uses this illustration of a father intentionally. It's not haphazard or casual. He wants you to cringe as you imagine how it is for a a parent to lose a child in this way. There's disrespect, there's rejection of not just the father, but of the whole community as well. That son is piecing out from the whole village Jesus wants us to identify with this parent because he wants us to understand how the father feels when he has a lost child as well. You know, for me as a parent, it actually comforts me to know that God knows what it's like to be me. (laughs) Did you know that God's kids sometimes get lost too? (laughs) God's kids sometimes get lost too. It helps me to know because God is a perfect father and yet his kids sometimes lose their way. I feel like God gets me, he gets us. And with Jesus painting this picture, there's stuff we can draw from for inspiration and courage. He gets it. The story continues. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. So after he drained his bank accounts, doing things that no good Jewish boy should be doing, He finds work in a place nearby, in a place no good Jewish boy wants to be found, and that's pigsty. Pigs were unclean in the Jewish law. So Jesus is suggesting here that the younger son has become a swine herding slave to a Gentile, 
which is a threefold dishonor. The teachers of the law and Pharisees at this point would have deemed the son's life a cursed life. It's not just dishonor. This boy is doomed. It's as bad as it can get for a Jewish boy here. So again, Jesus is painting the most offensive picture possible. Earlier, we saw disrespect and rejection of of father and family, but now he's rejecting faith too. Prostitutes and pigs are not just unlawful, they're unclean, morally reprehensible and outside the will of God. The lost son's plan for his life is going to start unraveling though. And I found it really interesting that just when the money ran out, a famine happened to sweep across the land. I'm curious if God was timing this to happen in his sovereign mercy so that things would, things would start to dismantle the son's plan. And then God would be able to enter in with a plan of his own, which is a plan of rescue, actually. And I know, I know, even though this is just a parable that Jesus is telling about God's love for his lost children, I feel like the details that he either adds or subtracts is intentional, it's on purpose. So about the time the money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, comma, and he began to starve. I think about how many times this might have happened in my own life, or yours, that circumstances sometimes align themselves in such a way that redirects our path. There could be an unplanned calendar conflict, or a random reorg, or a freak snowstorm. I've seen enough coincidences in my life to believe that God's plan to find us is greater than our plan to get lost. It's greater. What circumstances need to be in place for us to give up on our lostness? Do we fall out of the comfort zone, come to the end of our resources? How did he block our pathway? Note the very next sentence that follows. It says that no one gave him anything. He began to starve, but no one gave him anything. I'm curious if this too was providential, a providential circumstance, because we know that God is absolutely generous towards the needy. Even he's written into the law humanitarian, compassionate care for those who are on the, on the margins, the hungry and the suffering. So this is not a, um, a, a ploy for tough love, you know, like, well, I'm not gonna give you anything. I'll make you suffer. It wasn't like that. It might have been that maybe when you leave a community who followed God's ways also means that you leave a community that practices mercy. Or maybe a famine is a famine and there's nothing to share. Maybe no one's giving them anything because famines make everyone hoard the bread and the teepee, right? (laughs) Memories, they're flooding back, triggering, sorry. (laughs) But maybe this, this hardship was part of providence too. No one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, 
You know, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. Verse 17 says he came to his senses. I think some of us have been in that spot before. Scripture uses this phrase to describe kind of an awakening out of a drunken state or out of a dream. So was it the moment that he craved pig food that he thought, what the heck, <laughs> what am I doing? It, like coming to his senses, what have I done? And then he wakes up as if from a dream and he thinks, oh my gosh, I had the worst dream. I dreamt that I gave my father the finger and basically told him like, I don't want you around here or I don't want to be around you. And this is my father who loves me, who taught me to shoot hoops, who rode me on his shoulders at the parade, who stayed up all night with me when I was sick, the one who came to my rescue when I crashed the camel, the one who calls me by my nickname and his eyes twinkle when he teases me and they tear up when he says how proud he is of me. The guy whose presence makes me feel safe. I even think sometimes he shines when he sees me. I asked that guy for his money and I wished him out of my life. What was I thinking? Friends, you may have someone who is lost to you and in a distant land, figuratively or not. I want to take a second and just remind us of what we know so far. God's kids sometimes get lost too. God's plan to find us is greater than our plan to be lost. And also, does it help, help you to know that God works remotely? Yes, he works remotely. He works from home, and that's with a capital H. You knew I'd say that, right? That distant land, that's not out of his reach, okay? He is able to providentially time the circumstances needed for your loved one to come to their senses, to wake up as if from a dream. He's done it for you probably more than once. I know he has for me. In the Psalms, this is how David put it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, well, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, but even the darkness is not dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God sees in the dark. He can reach across the sea. No deepest pit is outside his coverage plan. God works remotely in places that we cannot go in order to rescue the one who is lost with his love. Sometimes we hear about hitting rock bottom and how often that's a turning point for, for someone who's in a hard place and who's far from home. This son's plan to live far away out of sight from his father, this plan is no longer working for him anymore. I imagine he lays a awake at night in the stable, looking at the stars, 
and he's still thinking that whole thing about like, what was I doing? <laughs> what was I thinking? Scripture calls moments like these repentance, a coming to one's senses, as it will. The Greek word is metanoia, which is defined as a change of mind or a change of plan or a purpose from what someone has done. So it's a turning, it's, it's a shift. The old plan gets discarded and like a mental Rubik's cube, the son is turning over the options until he figures out what his new solution is. And in humility, he can hear God's voice now, helping him craft a new plan that will lead him home. Here's his new plan. I'm gonna go home to my father and I'm gonna say, hey father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired servants. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I actually wasted everything you gave me. It's not the money, just the money, even though that was a lot. I wasted it all on stuff that's offensive to you, to you and your ways and to your wisdom. But more than that, I wasted my sonship. The blessings you gave me through the years, the investment of time and carpools and love. You even potty trained me, dude. <laughs> and all of that I just torched and I walked away as your heart exploded in the background. I literally, really do not deserve to be your son. But I'm wondering if you'd let me work for you and pay you back. So he's got a speech ready. There was a man known as Saint Augustine but he wasn't always a saint. He actually was born to a saint. Her name was Saint Monica. I, I mean, imagine being raised by a saint, right? <laughs> but he decided that instead of following the Lord, he would prefer wine, women, and song. And so he left his family for, for years and years and years and went about his own plan for his life. It didn't include monogamy, it did not include restraint of any kind. But in his writings called Confessions, St. Augustine details the providential circumstances that God put into his life for his time of rep repentance and his coming home. I love what he wrote here about that time. He said, how sweet did it suddenly become to me to be free of the sweets of folly. Things I once feared to lose, it was now joy to put away. You cast them forth from me, you the true and highest sweetness. You cast them forth and in their stead you entered in, sweeter than any pleasure. So God working from home, working remotely, he works in distant lands, he works in the dark, even from those who are trying to hide. And like Augustine's testimony, the stuff that once lured us is replaced by a true and higher sweetness, the spirit of God himself. Let's finish our section of Luke 15, see how it goes for this lost boy. The new plan, remember, is to come back and say, um, the, uh, I'm not worthy to be your son. Could you make me into one of your hired servants? 
And so he returned to his father. While he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. The father could see him a long way off because he had his eyes fixed on the road. That same road where the sun got smaller and smaller in the horizon, he now sees a figure coming towards him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, hey, father, I've sinned against both you and heaven. I'm no longer worthy of being your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost but now he is found. So the father's immediate response, as soon as he sees his son, immediately, immediately love and compassion. Immediately. Also, he ran, which closed the distance between them with grace. Not one second longer was the son going to take a step towards the father and wonder what was going to be had when he reached the porch step. Was there going to be chiding or like standoffishness, anger? He didn't know. But the father running to him, closing the distance with grace, takes away that fear for the son. And all that hugging and that kissing, those were visible public marks of welcome and forgiveness because the whole neighborhood's watching, right? And they're like, dude, we know what happened here and we are curious to see what's gonna happen now. If there's gonna be any sort of like penalty or payback program, we're all waiting. But what they see instead, the father is saying from this point forward and moving, moving ahead into the future, there is not going to be anything but love and forgiveness here for my son. when he hears that he's no longer worthy, the father immediately is covering him with the marks of sonship and status, a ring, a robe, sandals. I'm not gonna let anyone think that you're my barefoot slave. Wear these things as outward outward markers to everyone watching that I love you and I'm glad you're back. Let's fire up the barbecue or smoker. I don't know what you're into, but let's have veal tonight. (laughs) It's time to celebrate the son of mine's return to life. He was lost, but now he's found. He's home. So at the outset, we had Jesus. Remember, this isn't like a parenting parable, even though it sort of is a little bit, but Jesus is explaining to all these people watching, why do I eat with sinners? They're God's lost children. What is the Father's heart towards them? Well, in Jesus' words, the heart of God is pretty simple. He says of himself later, now this is the will of the one who sent me. I must not lose even one that God gave me. He's not willing that even one would be lost. And then he says of himself, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So Pharisees, watching world, 
tax collectors, my heart is to find you, to seek and save you. So it's pretty simple. God the Father isn't willing for any of his to be lost. And so he sent Jesus on a rescue mission to seek and save. I figure we have three kinds of people here in this room today. And so I'm gonna close this morning with a little personal note for each of you. The first group, you're, you could be think, thinking to yourself like, oh, this is a great story, but like, I don't really identify either with a parent who's lost someone or, or with the person who's being lost. I kind of just don't resonate with any of that. And so my challenge for you then is I would like to invite you back here next week. We're going to finish the parable next week, and I have a feeling you may resonate with one of the characters we talk about there. The second group of people who are here, their parents, or their family members or friends of someone who's lost. And I have an encouragement and a challenge for you as well. The encouragement would be to trust that God loves your person, your child, more than even you do. And he is willing to do anything to go seek and save your child. That is your, like he can see in the dark. He can reach across oceans, right? He can coordinate circumstances in their life so that they line up in such a way that this lost person comes to the end of their plan and they're like, you know what, that was dumb. What what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And like a dream, they wake up and they say, I think it's time to come back. My challenge for you, though, is that during this time that they're in a distant land, I want you to think about distance education or distance learning, as they call it. I want you to think about using this time that your loved one is away to seek God's heart and to become more and more like him so that when God brings your loved one back, you're included in that homecoming party, right? Because it's like they're coming back to him. They're not coming back to you. (laughs) You just want to be part of it, right? And so encouragement, know that God loves them more than we can even imagine. And that Our time in this distance learning is to become like the Father and so that we're included in that homecoming party as well. A third group of people here today, you might be feeling a little bit lost yourself, but maybe you've never really used that word in relation to yourself before. But now that you think about it, you are a little far from home. Home is a relationship with God. And if you're feeling like you've gotten off the wrong path and you've been headed farther and farther away, maybe you find the plan for your life isn't working out the way that you thought it might. Maybe there's a hunger inside you that hasn't been filled yet. I'm curious if this reflection by St. Augustine, we talked about him earlier, This might resonate with you. This is what he said about his lost but found journey. Afterwards, he talked about this, about the Lord. You've made us for yourself. 
and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless. They're restless until we're back with him. Like the father in the story, God wants to close the distance between you with grace. He made us for relationship with him and he eagerly waits to have you home. No level of offense is too great for him to forgive. Remember, Jesus was painting the most outrageously offensive picture that he could of that boy. That boy was offensive in every way you sliced it. And the father still ran, still gave grace, love, and sonship. There's no weird penalty program or payback program to sign up for to reimburse him. You're not going to be given the silent treatment, the I told you so. You're not going to get a timeout or a sarcastic nickname, pig slop. Every time, you know, he sees you, he's not going to remind you of your offense. Your good and kind heavenly father has his eyes peeled on the road for you walking. Your restless heart is safe to come home. Let's close in a word of prayer. And in this quiet moment, I want to invite you to think about the connection card that you have. It's not just to jump on any sort of email list today. What I want to do is I want us to be praying for you or your loved one who might be in a distant land. I want Arbor's prayer team to be praying for your lost one by name. So if you're somebody who is missing someone in a distant land, you don't have to put your name on it at all. But I would like you to put their name on it. And when you're walking out today, I would love for you to drop that in the buckets that the ushers hold. I want us to pray for your loved one. And if you are lost, if you're feeling like, gosh, I just need to come home, I want you to write that on your card as well. And again, you do not have to put your name if that's not what you're comfortable doing. But we want to pray for people who are, who are in distant lands. We don't want to pretend like just everything is always so great all the time and that there's no pain that we are carrying. We want to be carrying it with you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for making a way home for us. You sent Jesus to seek us out. You sent Jesus to save us, bring us back home in relationship with you where we belonged. And though we don't deserve it, you say, you are my children. Here's the ring and the robe, sandals for your feet. I love you and I want you back. And so we are just so grateful we want to live our lives in gratitude for that love. Lord, we're restless without you. We're restless until we find ourselves with you. Thank you for this hope today, Lord. Thank you for the miracles you're still working in distant lands. You're seeing in the dark. You're reaching across oceans. And we trust you. We know that you love our loved ones so much deeper and wider than even we do. We trust them to you and ask for their safe return home. 
in our lifetime. It's in your name we pray. Amen.